Hi there, I'm Ryan Hermes, and this is episode two of the Hop and Vine Cast, produced on behalf of the Michigan Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. This podcast is designed to give you a look at the state's beer and wine industries from the inside out, talking about new brands coming into Michigan, special releases, and beer and wine festivals, or in this case, tapping into an expert's knowledge. The expert here is Mike Nichols. He handles much of the marketing for Republic National Distributing Company. He's been with the company for over 40 years and is a go-between to the salespeople at RNDC and many of their suppliers. So who better to talk to about wine pairings, specifically pairing wine and cheese and wine and chocolate? Mike and I chatted in his office, which is tucked away in a nondescript building in Warren. His office is littered with cases of wine and loose bottles dotting bookshelves. Sales sheets, marketing materials, handwritten notes, they layer his desk for a chat about finding the perfect pairing. So without further ado. So for those who maybe aren't familiar with your company, can you talk a little bit about the footprint in the state, where you guys have facilities, and, and maybe some of the brands that you that you guys work with that people might be familiar with? Sure. Well, we're a statewide wholesaler, which means we obviously cover all counties in Michigan and the Upper Peninsula. Uh, we have 200 suppliers that we represent and 700 brands and thousands of SKUs. So, so we really have a pretty extensive footprint in the state. Uh, we have 100 plus salespeople. We have, and that's in the wine division. We have a spirit division, and we have what's also called an authorized delivery agency, which delivers spirits only to all licensed spirit retailer outlets, whether it's on-premise, off-premise, and you've got um, you know, 10,000 of those in Michigan. And that really happened in 1996 when uh, they privatized or the government uh, privatized the wine and spirits or semi-privatized it. So that's that's what we do. It's sort of a three-tier company. We are a delivery agency for spirits for the state of Michigan. We are a wine wholesale operation, and we are also a spirit operation. Even though the spirits are controlled by the state, we broker them and represent them through delivery. Let's talk about um, about some of the brands. If you could rattle off a few that maybe people would see on a store shelf, whether it's at if it's at their local grocery store or maybe one of their specialty beer or wine shops. Oh, we have several brands. Uh, a couple that come to mind. Most people know Woodbridge by Robert Mondavi. Mm-hmm. Very popular brand that we carry. It's available, you know, obviously in a lot of places. We have the Behringer family of wines, which is, again, extensive. They have many different levels. We have Fetzer. Uh, we've got uh, Opus One we represent. Uh, we represent uh, uh, Whispering Angel, which is one of the most popular rosés right now in the country. Uh, and we have, we have several brands from all over the world, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, it's almost too numerous to mention. It can go on and on. In America, when we have wines from Michigan, like St. Julian Winery, Chateau Chantel, Peninsula Cellars, we've got a few others. You know, we have wines from Indiana, we have wines from Washington State, California, New York, New Jersey, and all over South America got things from New Zealand and Australia. Another big brand I think people know is uh, Kim Crawford, mm-hmm. popular Sauvignon Blanc. So it, it's uh, quite a list. and It's always changing, too. 
So one thing I can tell you about wine, not only are we adding and subtracting every year, we are, uh, each year is a changed vintage for the wine. So every wine in 15 might not be the same as it is in 16. So you are relearning all the nuances of each vintage as you move on. So that's one of the unique things about wine. It's, it's not like selling a part on a car. It's pretty similar year after year, but the wine changes because of Mother Nature, and it's an artist uh, that creates it and grows it. So you have those um, variances from year to year. An example in Bordeaux for why you might wonder is how come sometimes it's more expensive than others. So Mother Nature gave the winemaker the right ingredients to make a great wine. The market will pay a better price for that. Conversely, if Mother Nature didn't give you such a good year, rain at harvest, you know, bad weather during the uh, set, berry set, uh, you won't get as much money for your wine. And it's, that might be governed a lot by critics too and people, experts in the industry that help influence pricing. So it's a great business. It's a lot of fun and I wouldn't be doing it for 45 years if I didn't like it, that's for sure. <laughs> so you, you mentioned what Mother Nature gives a winemaker. Are we talking about the quality of the grape or or what goes into or can go into making that vintage each year being a little bit different? Well, it's a, that's a pretty complicated question to <laughs> answer. Uh, but there's certain, like anything, you, you heard a few years back when they had a terrible frost in March or April yeah, Michigan yeah. destroyed the cherry crop. There's, there's certain times throughout this growing season that weather can have either a really positive or negative impact on how a grapevine is going to produce fruit. So, for example, in the fall, if you have a lot of rain at harvest, it's a very bad for uh, the grape because what happens is the, the, the grape absorbs all that moisture and it, it just basically waters the, the wine down and your, your wine quality is going to go away. And you know that's, and you can have little microclimates within any given area that uh, can produce even in a bad vintage a good wine, but that's an example of how if rain at at um, harvest or if you have a hailstorm or a frost in the spring, uh, that can be a disaster for your berry set, or or you can lose you can lose almost your entire crop if the weather doesn't cooperate and if you get you know depending on the area you're in if you get not enough rain that's okay because they can irrigate or if they can't irrigate uh, that's that could be a problem and too many years of too warm of temperatures can also cause stress on a vine and that may change the vine's ability to produce quality fruit and, and there's many things that growers and, and know what to do and how to improve the the quality and quantity of the grape itself so it's a really cool thing about wine making is there's that piece and then there's wine growing and, and I think it, it's really two distinct and separate uh, arts that a great farmer a great wine grower is going to give you the best fruit and then if you have a really good winemaker they're going to take that good fruit and most likely turn into a really really good wine and you'd always say if you had to have one or the other I, I think I'd rather have an okay winemaker 
and a great, great fruit grower as opposed to average fruit with a great winemaker. I, I think that uh, when you have a really good ingredient, and today it's, it's pretty hard to completely mess it up. And with technology and, and, and the idea sharing that happens through the internet, uh, the, the gap from 25 years ago between what was average and good is really narrowed. So there's a lot of good wine out there today, a lot. Well, we could we could probably talk all day about the the intricacies of of winemaking and and what comes out each year. But I, I wanted to kind of you know drill down today and, and talk about some uh, some wine and cheese pairing and, and some wine and chocolate pairing and kind of start a little bit with with some basics and then maybe talk more about some specific brands to to, to pair with some you know specific types of cheese or chocolates. Well, I think first and foremost, you, you have to take your personal preferences into consideration of what you don't like and what you do like. I mean, cheese like wine or like chocolate comes in a lot of varieties and a lot of flavors. I think that the American Dairy Association recognizes like over 500 different types of cheeses and it, it goes as high as a thousand. But what's interesting is if you were to look at the descriptors for wine and descriptors for cheese, you're going to find a lot of similar characters. Nutty, fruity, you know, sweet, dry. I mean, they, they do share a, a common uh, taste profile in, in many cases. So I think you first have to say to yourself, what do you like? If you don't like dry red wine, you're not going to be drinking dry red wine, and I don't, it doesn't matter what cheese you pick with it. You're you're not going to enjoy that. So yeah, you you have to first say to yourself, I mean, I really like uh, I like this smoother style red, a little not as austere, a little sweetness to it, and and I think when you look for a cheese that's going to go with that, I think you want to find a cheese that is not a hard cheddar that is aged for a long time. You want to find a cheese that's soft or medium soft that has a creaminess to it because I'm assuming that you're probably going to like that. And that's the type of pairing you want to look for is similarities in the style and flavor of the particular product, whether it's the wine or the cheese. And if you like soft cheese and want a cheese that you can spread, um, you you can find... um, like, for example, take a, like a, a blue cheese. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, blue cheese is going to be a little on the astringent, pungent side, which it is, and that's part of the process of making it. And they're going to recommend that to go with a fuller-bodied Cabernet, maybe a Syrah, or so, something that's got a lot more flavor, or an old-world um, Italian, maybe a Nebbiola, something like that. And, and you can spread that onto a cracker. And I think that's that's a, that's an interesting pairing, or or even those cheeses like that. If you like a white wine, they go well with a Chardonnay or something along that nature. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. And of the when you read about it and look at it, it's almost as if anything can go. You just have to decide what you really like. I mean, for example, if I was going to um, drink Whispering Angel Rosé which is phenomenal, you know, fresh strawberry. Uh, I would probably take a cheese like mm, Jarlsberg or something like that. It's a it's semi, semi-hard, you know, got a little bit of flavor, but not too, um, 
creamy and not too hard and, and with a lot of age that you get from uh, cheddar cheese. Or if I was going to say pick a, boy, what would I want to pick that I like to drink? A Merlot. Okay. I like, I, I ordered from a winery Black Stallion. I really like this wine. It's it's not available here in Michigan. You have to get it from the winery. Uh, but with the Manchego cheese, which is a semi-hard cheese, it's delicious. And, and I think the thing with with looking at different cheeses, I mean, really, what what sets them apart, you know, they're either for the most part they're they're cows milk, and they use goat cheese, goat goat milk, and they use uh, sheep. Those are they, they do have some other animals that that uh, that give milk and they make cheese, but that's for the person that's out there that really is an expert and wants to spend a lot of time studying it. Maybe a cheese geek, if there's such a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, or a cheese head. <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, for me, I actually just enjoy cheese and wine in general, and I, you know, it's a great social setting for us and our family and we have cheese and wine at just about every party we go to and we start out with that and we love it and and we mix things up with you know nuts and some dried fruits and things like that but you you can't go wrong with cheese and wine and I think if I was to tell you one piece of advice know what you like first if you don't like the cheese by just eating the cheese you're not going to like the cheese and wine. If you don't like the wine, you're not going to like the wine, even if you like the cheese. So put yourself in the Common Sense 101. If it tastes good to you, it smells good to you, that's how you mix it up. And any good wine shop or grocery today has a pretty good cheese selection. And, and there's, there's a Surrey will tell you what to do if you want to go, hey, Surrey, <laughs> I need a good cheese. If you want to go Google, everybody likes to Google. Google can help you out. Uh, it's an amazing, and it's amazing what you can learn on YouTube. You can learn how to build a house if you want to on YouTube. So, cheese and wine is just a fun experience because they're two food products that are simple to complex. They, and they're, and if you're like I said, if you want to start studying cheese flavors. There's a hundred of them. There's a thousand. If you wine, there's a there's thousands of wine flavors, flavors that I've never even personally heard of, and I'm going, wow, I didn't know that tasted like this particular nut I've never never heard of. And and that's that's the good thing about this product, and 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 people love it, and people learn from it, and you can't go wrong with inviting friends over and having cheese and wine, and it doesn't just have to be wine too. There's beer is another product or spirits. I mean, it's it's those products all have many similar uh, flavonoids and that's what i can tell you so you you brought up some good tips for and i would characterize this as you know if i'm going through the grocery store and i kind of get um i get that that bug of man i'd I'd like some 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 fun cheese and maybe a nice bottle of wine to go with it um you, you look for wine you like which seems really obvious but you know, if you're trying to be adventurous, that might not pop right into your mind. 
Uh, and then secondly, to, to try to match the description of the wine with the description of your cheese. Um, now, say you're planning, and, and you, you brought this up, that you do these on a fairly regular basis, mm-hmm. where you do uh, wine and cheese for friends or family. What's kind of your checklist when you go out to pick up the wine and the cheese and, and nuts or any dried fruits that might be paired with these things? What's kind of the checklist that somebody should have or, or to kind of keep in mind as they set out to, to compile all of these things? Well, obviously, most people have their standards, mm-hmm. and on a conservative note, I would say that uh, I probably can't remember half of the cheeses. In fact, probably is the wrong word. I can't remember half the cheese <laughs> that we have, but we do have go-tos that we really like, like Manchego, Jarlsberg, there's a Merlot. I mean, there's many cheeses that we just might buy a small little slice of it, whatever it's... Uh, you know, quarter pound or something mm-hmm. like that costs eight, ten, twelve, fifteen dollars, and we open it up, and if we like it, we write it down, or we'll hope that we remember when we're back at the store. And obviously, being in the industry, I sample a lot of different wines. Sure. So, uh, it, it, and again, we have a particular flavor that we like, and, and when it comes to the the winter time, Cabernet Merlot. Syrah. My wife doesn't like Pinot Noir, and I'm a big fan of Pinot Noir, and I think Pinot Noir go well with a lot of cheeses. I mean, it's a it's a you know completely different profile than Cab Merlot Syrah. And th- again, that's something where if I was to, uh, I mean, I wrote down just a couple of things. If if I was gonna check the, check the nut on Pinot Noir, what would I what would I say here? Gorgonzola, Swiss, Jarlsberg, blue cheese. So, again, depending what you like, that's what I would go with. So for me, it's Manchego, it's Jarlsberg, it's I will occasionally buy a good cheddar cheese. Uh, I'll get some Parmesan if I want a you know a good strong cheese. Say we're having some Italian wine or, or something, we might have that. And then with nuts, I mean almonds, roasted nuts. Um, I, I like those, uh, I think it's called the Marcone, Marcona almonds. They're delicious. It's a great thing to have. You know, generally we'll sometimes do a different olive mix of a couple of different olives that goes with it. But for just cheese and wine, it, it really, I think, the you, uh, maybe a baguette of bread mm-hmm. and some crackers to whatever, whichever ones you like. Uh, I mean, that's what I would do if I was keeping it simple. Cheese, wine, and I, and I wouldn't have 20 wines either. Unless we were doing some sophisticated cheese and wine pairing, all you need is one or two wines because that's what your friends are going to that's they're gonna want. And, and, and again, if you, unless you want to make it a more of an interesting party where the, the goal is to show people. Uh, and, and those are fun, but after a while... People are just into the social piece of it, so yeah. But it, it's a great, it's a great thing, and it never gets old. It it never gets old. I mean, you can enjoy a great Merlot in your Manchego cheese every Saturday night and be happy. And, and trust me, we are. So, uh, if anybody wants to know what to get Mike for his birthday or for Christmas, now you know. 
yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so let me ask, and this might seem like an odd question, but you, you mentioned crackers. Mm-hmm. Do you do flavored crackers or do you do something that's a little bit – um, a little bit less flavor. I've always preferred kind of a like a wafer thin, you know, very plain cracker. So you know, I don't lose anything or add too much to the cheese and whatever I'm pairing it with. Do you, do you have a, a a cracker preference? A wafer cracker is generally what we use. I mean, it's pretty simple. Sometimes we'll use a wheat flavor cracker. I mean, there are. I, I don't like to use crackers that are very sweet. Mm-hmm. And there is one flavor I do like in a cracker occasionally, and that's um, rosemary. I think that they it just adds a really nice flavor. I mean, sometimes it's a little overpowering, but if it's a subtle rosemary flavor, I, I really enjoy it with some cheeses. And so that's what I would, just a basic wafer cracker or, or something that breaks. It's And you can get them at any store, and generally we don't. No disrespect to Ritz because I, I love Ritz crackers, and but it's not the cracker of choice for me with uh, with my cheese and wine. Although those Ritz chips by themselves are pretty darn good. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> They're addicting. So so for folks, and, and I'll be honest, sometimes when I go looking for a wine when I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, it gets a little overwhelming. You know, I know styles, but I don't always know specific brands and, you know, what's really good as compared to what's okay. So so for folks like me who might go out in this, you know, cheese and wine pairing adventure at the store, what are some some specific brands um, that you would suggest folks look for that, and if you want to pick maybe four to five cheeses, um, maybe some, some specific brands to, you know, um, to pair with a specific cheese? That's a good question. I'm back. I had to take a quick commercial. Well, and, and just so folks know, and obviously nobody can see this, but to give you an idea of, of kind of sometimes the complexity of this and the number of options is, is Mike has about eight different sheets of paper, uh, notes and, and color wheels all spread around the table here, um, just so he has the materials uh, at the ready to talk about the different kinds of wines, the different kinds of cheeses, the different kinds of chocolates, which we'll get to here sh- very shortly. You know, when you're talking 500 different kinds of cheeses... Um, that would be 500 to 1,000. Yes. I mean, that's that's a lot of different directions you can go. So so specific brands, maybe some specific cheeses, what what would your recommend, recommendations be for folks out there? Well, again, it's that's a, that's a pretty broad question because uh, there are folks that their price point is here for wine. And there are others that their price point is a little higher. And generally, uh, I think people associate price with quality. It isn't necessarily always true, but it's a pretty good barometer. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you're talking about somebody wants to spend $10 for a bottle of wine. All right? and I would recommend, there's a Cabernet, it's Noble Vines 337. Okay. It's pretty readily available. An excellent wine, it's gets a lot of critic acclaim for that price point. Great family that makes it. So it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. 337 is actually a clone of Cabernet. And year after year, it's consistently good. So if it's for an everyday entry level, or above entry level, I should say, because you can get wines that a lot less than that, that are good too. It, it just delivers a lot of good, good flavor, and you're not going to go wrong and disappoint people if you... Uh, 
have that wine. Of course, unless you've got some wine snob that uh, only drinks wines that nobody's ever heard of or found, <laughs> except for them. Yeah. Uh, they, they might not, uh, well, even they would enjoy it if you put a blindfold on them. <laughs> Sometimes you have to put a blindfold on those people. And, and again, what cheese would I go with that? I mean, for me, I would probably get a basically a, some sort of a semi-soft. Like I again, I love Jarlsberg cheese. It's it's almost in the uh, what I call it. Uh, it's got some holes in it. It's got a nutty flavor. It, it's just it's just really tasty cheese, and I think it, it it pairs it would pair well with this wine. And you can get it just about anywhere. So, so it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good standby for me. Uh, another, say if you were going to step it up a notch and you wanted to buy a wine that was a little bit more expensive, a little bigger, richer profile, uh, I have a favorite Cabernet that I love, and that's Black Stallion. Okay. It's uh, probably around $25 a bottle. It's not readily available. You can usually find it in wine shops and find it in some restaurants but you're not going to do a cheese and wine thing at restaurants so so it, it's out there but it's it's a it's a napa valley wine and i think that a wine like that would go better with you know again i would go back to my manchego or a uh a harder cheese a parmesan something that's an aged cheddar mm-hmm. and, and it goes really well and i get a nice wafer I think that would be something that I would, I would definitely recommend on the red side. And if you wanted to do a white wine, for example, on that same Noble Vines, uh, like the 337, they have a Chardonnay that's called 446. Again, a, a very high-scoring Chardonnay for that price point. It's in that $10 range, uh, you know, 90-point rated wine. And, and I would go with a, with a softer cheese, Maybe a goat cheese or something like that. That uh, you know, mozzarella. I mean, there, there, there's again, there's so much you can do. In, in fact, one of the things that I've just popped into my brain that I do like is this burrata. It's it's almost like a marat, a mozzarella cheese, and it makes an amazing spread for um, crackers or bread. And you can mix it maybe with a little tomato or basil. Absolutely delicious and. To me, that would pair well with a uh, nice Chardonnay, or even, or for that matter, if you didn't like a lot of people go, I don't like Chardonnay. I don't know why. It's a great wine. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc would okay. also go well. A little, little more fruit forward wine, probably a little more acidity in it. So, those are a couple of favorites that I like in particular. And again, with brands we talked about, if you know Robert Mondavi Private Selection like the noble vines i just talked about is is a good choice but but again there's so many wines i mean you you really if you're if a wine shopper i mean honestly it's probably the one shopper i feel the most sorry for (laughs) because (laughs) uh, we sometimes don't make it easy in our industry for people to (laughs) to understand what's going on and but that's okay. I mean, they'll figure it out, and uh, we're a smart group. So, so on that note, then, if if you have somebody who's shopping for wine, and, and say they're kind of going by um, a specific style, and then kind of a price range they want to be in, what do you look for? What's some suggestions um, to kind of help people out? 
Well, be honest with whoever you're asking the question on what you like or don't like. I think sometimes people want to say, well, I really like dry wine, when in actuality, they don't. Okay. They just say it because it sounds like a better answer. I don't like sweet wine because sweet wine can't be good, which is so far from the truth. Uh, you know, from sweet to dry, you can find great, great wines in every flavor profile. So I think you have to say, this is what I really like or this is what I don't like. And, and you might ask that person, well, can you give me an example of a wine that you really liked? And if they remember, that can give you a really good answer. Like it says, well, I really like dry wine. Well, what's the last time dry wine you really liked? And they say Riesling. You don't insult them because they do make dry Riesling. Mm -hmm. But what you know from that answer is, okay, I think I can find a couple of wines with a little fruitier profile that maybe aren't tart, you know, they're off dry. Because that's probably what the person really meant to say was, I don't really like dry wines. I like a little sweeter wine. And, and honestly, if you were to take a look at the top selling wines in this country, and especially even here in Michigan, most of them are sweet. We really do like sweet, and uh, even though we don't admit it. And that's part of what um, I think brought on this uh, crazy evolution of red blends or quote the blend category. I mean, it's not new. Blended wine has been part of the winemaking world forever. I mean, you go to Bordeaux, that's 80% of the wines are blends. They just don't call them red blends. And it's just a simple way to market a, a flavor profile to Americans. And, and if it works, hey, great, let's jump on the wagon. And, I, and so, so understanding what flavors they like, it, it, you're probably today, you have a really good shot if you recommend wines and you just ask a couple of questions of hitting the nail right on the head. You, 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 you have a hard time missing with, with even a little bit of information. Now, if you're willing to tell people, let's take a chance and let's try, you know, a Greek wine, let's try this Retsina, see if you like that. Uh, if you wanted something different that tastes like resin, or if you want to do uh, an Alsace Riesling <coughs> or Gewurztraminer, which again has really high mineral flavors, and a lot of people love that, and it's almost like a petrol type flavor. If you, if you can sort of smell the aromas of petrol, you may think that doesn't sound appealing. But to a lot of people, it's very appealing. So, I mean, you, if you go to one side or the other, I mean, you, you might, you know, give somebody a Willamette Valley Pinot Noir from Oregon or a, a Burgundy that, that has a flavor profile that's barnyard, it's, you know, you know a lighter mid-palate in the mouth, and many folks will go, I, I don't like this. It's like, this tastes like dirt. It, it, there's nothing to it. It's too thin. It's not smooth. Yet those flavors uh, command some of the highest prices in the wine world for these wines. And the average Joe would go, you know what? I, I can't drink that. But yet I'll go down there and get my $10 bottle of smooth red and I'll polish two of them off. And that's the, again, that goes back to the, the, what I said in the very beginning. You have to know what you like and, and express it in order to, in order to uh, get the right thing. And I had a person come to me a year ago who was up working up in a wine shop in 
I don't remember what city it was in northern Michigan, but but uh, a very high end wine shop was doing an exclusive tasting with a group of their best customers, doctors, you know, people that spend money on wine. Sure. So they did a blind tasting with several Cabernets. I mean, high end names, which I'll remain unnamed. That let's just say they went anywhere from twenty five to fifty dollars a bottle. And then somebody dropped in a ringer, a Cabernet for, I'll tell you the name of the Cabernet, it was called Twisted, it, for, I think it retails like 6 or $7, <clears throat> and this was all done blind. And with these 35 or 40 people, uh, that wine won. Really? Yes. So you ask yourself, wow, now, why does that happen? And I mean, I can answer that, but I don't know if it's, I mean, I have an answer, it might not be the right answer. But the point would be, is you know you can be predisposed to something by looking at the name, the bottle, the image, and say, "Wow, this is really good." And then when you taste it blind against other things, you might not pick it as your favorite wine. So again, that's that's part of what makes wine really interesting as well. Is you, you know, on any given day, you might think your favorite wine's a little bit different. The next day, well, I don't remember tasting this way. Well, maybe it didn't. Maybe you didn't taste it that way. So that's the long story. It's it, You can ask your wine shop, because most of the wine shops today, I think, and that's the cool thing about our industry, is the younger generation, which I'm not a millennial, I'm a baby boomer, <laughs> but uh, the ones that are interested and that are in these shops today I think they're passionate about what they're doing. They're doing their homework. Uh, I think a lot of them are asking the right questions, and you're getting. And they have more knowledge available to them through the internet. I mean, I may have had the luxury of traveling to more of these places over the years that they've traveled through their their internet and their books. It's still the same. I mean, you 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 learn. It's just a different look. So I think that's the good thing today is with that you know, more vast knowledge, I think the consumer is getting some good direction and good choices and with technology and winemaking and grape growing that's better than it's ever been. I mean, it, it, it's really good. The industry is, it's healthy and you know, less, you know, I'm sure some vineyards in Chile are struggling right now with the, with the severe fires they, they had in that particular southern part of the country. But, I mean, they have that happen in California a year ago. <clears throat> they went. You know, it's a good thing they went from extreme drought to basically no drought this year. So it'll be really good for the, the wine growers in 2017. It, it's, a, it's a fun thing that you can work with and grow and keep doing it. And it's not going to get boring. It's not like, again, it's not like uh, Ritz Crackers and Velveeta. <laughs> <laughs> That's college staple here. Yep. You know, so. So let me ask... Um, in terms of, of pairing wine with chocolate, is it kind of a similar playbook of trying to find a particular wine that you like and, and matching up some of the flavor descriptors of the two? Or is, is, there, is there other nuances to trying to match wine with um, you know, a particular kind of chocolate or perhaps you know, chocolate-covered strawberries, things like that? Well, again, that's... Again, when you just use the word chocolate, okay, it, it, obviously there is a, <clears throat> excuse me, 
a wide range of options, not just within chocolate, whether it's, you know, from milk chocolate, white chocolate, dark chocolate, you know, different levels of cocoa, I mean, extremely dark. And then, like I said, chocolate covered strawberries or chocolate mousse or this, you know, chocolate is an amazing flavor and it's an ingredient that is actually, according to doctors, healthy for you. So I'm, I'm sure it's probably the fat and the sugar don't, at times when they, depending on how they make it, go on the heart smart side. But at the end of the day, the ingredient's natural in it, and, it, and it's good. And if you think about it, the first inclination is to say, well, if we're having dessert, we have to have sweet wine. And you know what? In a lot of cases, that's not a bad adage. It's it makes sense. That's why they make dessert wines mm-hmm. for dessert, and there are some great ones. I mean, I I can honestly say some of my best wine experiences have been drinking, you know, old Sauterne, or drinking a late harvest Gewurztraminer, or a great port, or, or, you know, things that uh, an ice wine, a, a Trockenbaren Auslase. I mean, they're they're wonderful wines. They're they're absolutely delicious. Uh, and, and you know, you can have them with a little bit of sweet chocolate, and, and a, or you can drink them on their own, quite frankly. But that is a really cool part of the sweet side of wine, is chocolate does offer up, uh, with its own complexities, uh, pairings that you can honestly go in a lot of different directions. I mean, fundamentally, if you're gonna drink uh, a sweet wine you don't want to have a bitter chocolate you know know, there is chocolate that quite frankly tastes pretty bitter if it's really a dark dark chocolate so to have that with uh, a Cabernet or or maybe a Syrah or a Zinfandel that's could be a very good pairing I mean really you know and you could surprise yourself and say wow that really went that really went well together and, and again that's part of experimentation but I would say fundamentally if I was going to drink some rosé wine maybe I might get a get a white chocolate or I might maybe I might get a uh, uh, a, a Moscato di Asti or something like that so wine and chocolate is good because for me I love chocolate <laughs> <laughs> and I love wine. So they pair well because when I'm tasting them, it's it's two tastes that I actually really, really like. And, you know, they, the rule of thumb, people would say, well, make sure you use a really high-quality chocolate. And, you know, you know what? It's probably, you're not probably going to, if you're making s'mores, are you gonna, is there a wine that you want to have to go with s'mores? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I could go for that. What, what would you recommend on the fly if I'm making s'mores out at the out at the campfire and I want to have a bottle of wine handy just for the fun of it? S'mores and wine. Let's see. I would want to have. I'd probably go with a riesling or a okay. or something along those lines. That maybe just a little, not a not a real uh, sweet wine, but I'd use a wine that gives the impression of sweetness, and had some acidity, 
in it, and uh, those both do. But then again, I might drink what we have. So if, sure. if we had a bottle of, uh, I mean, I wind down a night. I mean, I like a, a, a sweeter wine, a, a muscat or some sort, because I don't drink that much of it. I just have a little bit of it. Or if I want to have a little bit more wine, I'll generally move in the later part of the meal with my sweets. I would move to a red that's, like I said, a, a pinot, or I might move to a, a gamay or something like that that's a little lighter, or a white. I mean, I, I, I sometimes like to finish my evening with white just because I do. It, it, it just it ends up, it just finishes off well for me. I mean, and that and that's generally a, a drier style white. But chocolate's a fun thing, and there is so much out there. And again, it's it's personal. It's personal preference, and I would say just don't, you know, you're, in this particular case, trial and error is important. But but don't if you if you're gonna have a, a real sweet chocolate, don't get a real dry wine. Okay, it's it's probably Makes not, sense. Gonna, not gonna work for you. And uh, although it might, you never know. I mean, I've read some things that, you know, stranger things have happened. Again, it's a way to start and a way to end an evening, as, as long as you're not driving. But the Uber car works really well. Good cheeses, good wines. It's a must for us when we have a gathering. Then wine complements our meal. So to start, then your meal, and then you finish off with, if it's chocolate that you choose, uh, you know, it's red wine and chocolate, I think. Are, are really really good pairings I mean it's and there's a ton of them out there so your checklist your takeaways for Mike choose a wine style you like and try to match the description on the bottle of wine with the description on the block of cheese and don't be afraid to ask for help just be honest oh and have fun because you really can't go terribly wrong when pairing wine with cheese or chocolate this has been the Hop and Vinecast I'm Ryan Hermes thanks for listening